This is episode 55 of the Steady Trade Podcast with your hosts, Tim Bowen. That's actually that's a good tip. That's a good I never I never really thought of doing it that way. And Steven Johnson. This is why I'm the, the partner on the podcast. Just adding value at unexpected tins and corners. <laughs> Today, Tim and Steven continue to walk you through Tim Sykes' 14-part free trader checklist video series. Today is part five. We also learn a bit about bad sushi. Steven comes up with a great name for a bad bakery. And Tim learns how to pronounce simple words. It reminds me of that time I was in elementary school. <laughs> it's not elementary. Elementary! But let's just jump right in. Welcome back to the Steady Trade Podcast. We're continuing our series where we are covering Trader Checklist, the free resource that Tim Sykes put out. I mean, we've mentioned it a few times in these intros and during the episodes. Ah, in my opinion, if you're a new trader or if you're even just new to momentum stocks, remember you might be one of these one of these guys or gals that has watched CNBC, that is that has done the Warren Buffett method, and and you've traded long term and were are unhappy with your one percent or two percent or single digit percentage gains. So maybe you're looking to low price stocks, and now low price stocks are just like high price stocks, but there's a lot of intricacies that are different particularly, you know, the necessity for stop losses, the necessity to stick to plans, necessity of being bulletproof in your discipline. So if you're new to these stocks, definitely just Google Trader Checklist. There'll be a link on this post. There'll be a link on the YouTube. Watch it. You can feel free to watch along if you want because we're kind of just getting started here. Um, but this is episode five. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off. We're on chapter five of trader checklist and feel free to follow along with us next segment which is ease of entry and exit and this is another very underappreciated indicator how easy can you get in and out of your position and you need to think about this again before you take the actual position so what is your position size going to be in relation to the average trading volume of the stock you know if you take a 20,000 share position and the average volume is only like five or 10,000 a day, you're going to be the whole market, more than the market. And that's going to lead to a lot of bad pricing and an inability to get out if you ever need to. Okay, so it's, it's a very interesting point. It's something that I've been kind of stung on before, but just to give a little bit of context so everyone knows where we are in the DVD as well, we're on part five. Uh, we're going through the prepare analogy. Uh, let's our acronym is a, is more correct. So prepare. We've we've covered the pattern. We've covered the risk reward. That that's the P and the R. And now we're under the E, which is the ease of entry. Just to, and we've we've got the how do I spell prepare? The P, the A, the R, and the E to come. <laughs> uh, but ease ease of entry is a real funny one. It's a real tricky one. And obviously, I think what Tim's saying is just don't ever enter a stock uh, when with more with more trading more shares than that actual stocks trading because i know that he did that and he, and he really struggled to get out and i know tim i think you can tell that story better but for me uh, one example which is more recent is awx i remember i was watching awx on the first day of its move which was just a few days ago it turned into this crazy uh, multi well it was a two-day runner but its range was between kind of 80 cents and 90 cents. And it was trading quite light volume. And I remember thinking, I wouldn't short this because I feel like just someone's waiting for something to happen and then they're just going to ramp at 20 cents. And there's not enough volume for you to really get out before it, and the spread's quite wide. So you've really got to be careful on thinly traded stocks, but also eerily quiet stocks as well because someone can manipulate it all of a sudden when it's a low float. Yeah, I think uh, quite frequently it can be, especially to new traders, uh, you'll see these stocks that have a crazy volume and then the volume kind of starts fading and then the price starts fading as well. And yeah, the chart looks great for a short, but if you get to the point where you're shorting yeah. a stock that's, I mean, some of these stocks, you'll see them, I mean, they'll go from 100,000 shares traded to 5 million to you know, a million. And then like the third day they're back to trading a hundred thousand shares. 
that may sound attractive. The chart may look attractive, but I mean, when a stock is trading a hundred thousand shares over the entire day, even if you're trading 500 or a thousand shares, you can literally trade against yourself to exit this stock. I have been there, especially on a kind of these faders where you kind of hold them short, hoping they'll crack. Then what happens, say there's some news or there's just a big buyer. There might not even be any news. Maybe some guy just steps in and starts buying shares. And when you're trying to get out of an illiquid stock, you're now buying, you know, you're bidding it up against yourself. Now, those are some kind of maybe advanced terms, but, and it goes for the same when you're trying to exit along. So what Tim is saying is avoid illiquid stocks, which in the traditional world, the simplest number is just 1 million shares traded on the day. Now, you might say, well, how do I know if it's going to trade a million? You do have to kind of extrapolate a little bit, but I mean, <laughs> extrapolate. <laughs> but if you're, you know, if you're, if you're looking to sh buy or short a stock that's traded like 15,000 shares at 11 a.m., you know, that's two hours into the trading day. If you extrapolate that over seven hours, it's highly unlikely it's going to trade seven, a, a million shares a day. So what is it? That's a, that's a kind of, uh, there's two things that I want to say. One of the things is extrapolate to the biggest word I've ever heard you use. Now, man, the, <laughs> yeah, that's a big word though, Tim. Considering Photosynthesis. No, considering you read a lot, I don't hear you use that many big words. Well, That's Steven, it's because I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, okay? I mean, you could have a, an elementary teacher with a PhD, but she's not going to talk to, you know, second graders in PhD level type vocabulary. But that's 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 my strong point. That's my that's my superpower. I act really dumb on the outset, but actually, ah. but actually, I'm a. Me super, me super power as a superhero's <laughs> vocabulary. I, I wow people and knock them down <laughs> with riveting words <laughs> when they least expect it. Especially but, uh, when they when they haven't been given a precursor. Without the precursor, yeah, I just I just hit them with it. I just hit. Them, I just this is how I wow girls. I just I just go up to the bar and I just hit them with extrapolating vocabulary. <laughs> I just extrapolate my vocabulary and hit them with it, and they're just like, "Who the fuck are you? You're intelligent." And I say, "Got you." Now get to the bedroom. <laughs> no, but I don't. But I don't. But um, oh, sometimes I do. But <laughs> the the point the point of the conversation was uh, avoid illiquid stocks. Avoid illiquid stocks, but like with stocks that are like the Amex, like the Scamex, like they'll they'll get you though. So so for example, if there's not much trading on the day. And like, it's a quiet day and you see something pop 15%, just like 10 minutes before the open, like, and then it's eerily quiet in the first 10 minutes that, that morpho is going to trap a lot of shorts. Cause they're going to like, I'll just short this cause it's a crap company and it's not trading much volume and there's not many buyers, but, and it's on the Amex. They are the type of sh shitty stocks that get manipulated. I don't know. You're looking behind. I don't know if there's an example. I missed the market today. Well, I, I was going to kind of, it's, it's, we'll, we'll probably revisit it later. ABIL is the one I'm looking at, but it is a NASDAQ um, stock and it's a little again. different, but, uh, but, but anyway, continue what you were saying. So no, it's just like a stock has got to have enough volume. Basically you don't want too much volume because that means there's too many buyers and it's going to go, up. but you don't want too little volume because that means it can get manipulated in a big, buyer can shake you out of your long or short with uh, a big seller can shake you out. So you've got to have the perfect amount of volume. It's really weird. And the other thing that I was going to say is you were saying you're looking for a million, two million, three million shares, but how do you judge that pre-market? And for me, the best way to do it is just to, to look at 10 stocks that traded a million over the course of 10 days and look at what they traded pre-market and add the 10 that's up. Actually, that's a 10. good tip. That's a good, I never, uh, I never really thought of doing it that way. So this is what, this is why I'm the, the partner on the podcast. Just adding value at unexpected tins and corners. <laughs> no, but that's what I did. And I, and I found out that generally pre-market, you'll trade 10 to 12 times on the day. So if it trades a million pre-market, it'll trade anywhere 10 million up on the day. It's traded 500,000, you'll get four or five million traded on the day. That's just, that's just how I work out me, me how to get squeezed. I'm like, it's traded a mill pre-market. It's traded a mill pre-market. I bet I short this more for full size at the open first few minutes. 
<laughs> straight to the mill. I think I'll get squeezed. I better get straight in there. Okay, next clip. I'm sorry. I'm thinking. Actually, and then the last <laughs> last point <laughs> that there is. The last point that Sykes makes and is a valuable point, and then we'll move on to the next clip, is, you know, if you are trading size, that, that's one of the issues with scaling this. You know, one of the reasons hedge funds don't trade this niche is you can't trade enormous size. So, I mean, if you're coming to penny stocks, if you're listening to the Steady Trade podcast and you have a $5 million account, welcome aboard. But just know that if you were looking to trade a $5 million account, you may have liquidity issues in this niche. So, But you also have to remember with ease of entry and exit, buying is easier than shorting. Uh, that's why literally 99% of the trader world buys and does not short. Shorting has been called unethical, un-American, difficult, risky, any bad word you can think of. Uh, because shorts are dependent on finding borrows from their broker in order to execute the short sale. For those of you who don't know, short selling is, you know, you're basically betting against the stock. You're taking a negative position. And that freaks people out because they're like, how do you take a negative position? You know, normally you just want to buy a thousand shares and then you sell a thousand shares. That's, that's a good stock trade. You know, you buy it at five, you buy a thousand shares at five, sell a thousand shares at seven, you make 2,000 bucks. Pretty simple. Well, with shorting, you have to take a negative 1,000 shares at, let's say, seven, and then you're trying to buy it back at five. It's the exact same trade, just in reverse chronological order. And this freaks people out. I have a whole DVD called Short Stocking. It's six hours, describes everything I know about short selling. But long story short, in order to take the negative position, you have to get a borrow from your broker. So... Tim makes a very, 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 very important point, and this is something that I discuss with a lot of new traders, is the borrow availability. You know, a lot of guys and gals come to shorts or come to penny stocks because the because of the attraction of shorting these, because they see these things, you know, go up a thousand percent, and then the next day they drop fifty. Then the next day they drop 50, the next day they drop 50, you know, and, and 99% of these stocks that spike, well, I mean, that's not a hard stat, but the majority of these stocks that spike end up where they came from. So it is very attractive to newer traders to be like, hey, I'm going to short sell this junk. Now, this has actually gotten better in the last couple of years since, since Tim did this video, but... I think back, back in the day, you know, when I got started, 2007, 2008, I mean, you struggled, struggled, struggled to get borrows. I mean, we would, when I say we, I'm talking like the penny stock community, you know, you would, there were two, three times a year, you'd have to change brokers because, you know, I remember way back when Thinkorswim was great. Then we went to, you know, all these other half of them are probably gone now, but every few months you'd have to leapfrog brokers. You'd have to open up all the paperwork. You'd have to wire money because that broker would get hot for borrows. Then most likely the broker would blow up because they would let all their client base short these stocks that everybody would get torched. And then the broker would not meet their liquidity requirements and go out of business. But that's a story for a different day. But uh, you know, it's gotten a lot easier the last couple months or a couple years but don't get enamored with these stocks that go straight up and straight down because often you can't get the borrow. And then when you can, and this is what has led to a lot of Steven's pain, he knows that, you know, the next day or the third day, there will be no borrows. So where Steven's kind of gotten himself into some trouble is he knows the borrows are going away. He shorts early endures too much pain and then has to cover. So I'll let Steven kind of touch on this, but just remember if you see all these stocks that go straight up and straight down, you might not be able to get to borrow. And if you can get the borrow, it might not fit your time or your broker. Yeah. I mean, in the DVD, it comes across, uh, it's Tim talks about how shorting is un-American and I think, well, that's fine. Cause I'm from England. So for me, that's, <laughs> that's not a problem. Uh, but but where, where I have best thing we ever did was kick you guys out of our country, man. <laughs> uh, I wish I wish I had better history lessons in school. We don't talk about it. We talk about World War Two. We talk about how the English, we talk about how the, Brit, the British beat the Germans, and actually it was kind of the Americans that helped as well. 
We never really talk about how we lost that one. We never, we never really talk about it. Not really in the history books, actually, which is funny. And what's less funny is uh, I'll never forget AFMD or AQMF or something. What is un-American and what you shouldn't do is short cancer stocks. And you will see never short cancer stocks. And I remember shorting a cancer stock and I remember putting it on Twitter and I was getting so much grief off people being like, why would you short a cancer stock? They're trying to, they're trying to like create drugs that save lives. And I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to take a paycheck. Just, <laughs> just, trying, just trying to get this. And like everyone was, everyone was spamming and there was the same guys being like, this stock's going to five, this stock's going to five. Now I'm like, oh, it's the typical Twitter pumpers who are saying all this bullshit. And then the next thing I knew, a few days later, the stock did go to five. <laughs> and, I blew up, and I blew up my account. <laughs> and the Twitter pumpers were right. <laughs> right. But so the, the lesson, the one lesson I would say is sometimes you can get borrows and sometimes you can get in. And you do run out on day two, day three, when it actually is a good short. But the thing is, though, don't be led into the fallacy that every stock does go down because you will get away with it time and time again. And I used to do it all the time. Like I used to be like risk 500 to make 100, risk 600 to make 200. And I'd get away with it and be like, I'm a great trader. Like I'm really good at trading. Look at me, profit every day. And no one sees the red. No one sees how much I was down. They just say how much I was up. One day you'll lose three grand and you'll be like, it has to come down. It has to come down. It has to come down. It doesn't come down. And some of them, some of them go up too high and come down. Some of them go up and don't come down. They don't come down. The news is legit. Shorts get stuck. And it just, it just moves on one level. And then they may go have a second leg. So yeah, one, of, one of the things, and we've talked about this, you know, if, if, you're, if you're new to the podcast, we had a whole trilogy of, of, of me and Steven arguing about shorting on day one low flow stocks. But, you know, this isn't, a new, this isn't a new saying but I apply this a lot to these stocks. It works great until it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and All the right. one time it doesn't work, it's bad. It's real bad. <laughs> it's really bad. I mean, precursor, if, if you've got a big account, if you've got a big account, yeah, build in that morpho. Build mm-hmm. in it. Give it hell. Show it fire. But if you just start out and you've got a little account, just stay away from the three and four million ones. I hate to say Tim Bones, right? Told us loads of times, took us two years to realize. Well, and it's like I, you know, the problem is again, and that that's a part of my Twitter ranting a lot is is you see these guys that I mean they got they got two million dollar accounts and they're talking about their positions on Twitter, you know, and it's like what what the reason it get it gets me frustrated is the little guys are the ones that see that and they're wow. like, oh, th- this guy this guy knows it's coming down. Well, the difference is. He, he he's playing a different game than you are. He can ride these out, and with a small account, you can't ride these out. Yeah, if it's a less than, if, like I would have a rule. I have. I just won't short them at all because I physically want to be sick over them now. But if it's less than five million floats, I wouldn't touch it until at least the third day, if not at all. Well, and the, than, well, and the thing is, you know, we used to talk about the day three three rule all the time, but these days, post twenty sixteen. If that thing's holding up on day three, <laughs> it's probably the worst short because if they've held up for two or three days, that's when everybody, that's when the shit really hits the fan. Yeah. And day one, when it's fading in the afternoon, it's like, oh, it's the afternoon fade. It's the afternoon fade. That's not the afternoon fade. It's trapping shorts and it's going to rip in the clothes. Anyway, we'll go to the next clip. Where I've, I've learned all these lessons and just please play the podcast back a few times because trust me, the valuable lessons. There's a lot of stocks out there that just drop very gradually and they can't break out of the you know, downtrend because there's so many long-term investors who are just selling, selling, selling into any spike, especially towards year end where if you take your tax losses, you know, if you take your losses before the end of the year, before December, you can take those losses on your taxes this year. So if someone's going to sell a losing position, they're going to do it in October, November, December. And if they're going to do it in October, November, or December, other people might do it in July, August, or September because they want to beat the rush of other people they know that are going to lose money. You know, we know that 99% of people only buy. So the vast majority of people in any downtrending stock have gotten crushed. And it's just a question of are they going to sell now? 
or are they going to sell later? Are they going to hold in hope? A lot of people do hold in hope, but towards the end of the year, you know, the benefit of taking uh, a tax loss now so that you can pay less taxes come April, well, that's that's sometimes a, a big motivator to get people to sell now. I mean, it's funny because when I, by the way, we're on to past performance now. We've done pattern, we've done risk reward, we've done ease of entry. The, and when people say, what are the variables? What are the elements of a trade? These are the variables and the elements. We're, we're giving you the secret sauce right now. What's the past, what's the, what is the pattern? What is the risk reward that you're getting? What is, the, no. Uh, ease of entry. So, ease of entry, we've just done it. And then, and then, and then, and then what is the, Past Correct. history and performance. Yeah, I'm so bad. But anyway. You know, it's like, it, it reminds me of that time I was in elementary school. And I, <laughs> elementary. And I first. <laughs> it's not elementary. Elementary. <laughs> elementary. Have you ever seen Bad Boys? Michael Larry. Elementary. <laughs> well, I thought you'd go with like a Sherlock Holmes reference. I'm Michael Larry. Have you ever seen Bad Boys? Michael Larry. I'm elementary. <laughs> I've seen it, but I don't remember it, so. You're like the main character. I just thought that, I just thought the elementary, my dear Watson, would be more attractive to you as a Brit. How do you say Michael? Uh, what Michael Larry? How do you say it? Michael Larry. Michael Larry. <laughs> Michael Larry. I'm not, I'm not Texan. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Michigan. Michael Larry. <laughs> anyway, finish hey, what hey, you were going to say before. I think you're just stalling because I think you're, you probably forgot what you were going to say again. You ever, you ever looked into the like alcohol induced brain damage? Have you checked that out at all? So who's not that we're doing anything religious, but Jesus's mom is called what? Mary. Mary. Michael Larry. Mary. <laughs> Come on, man. The brace, the you you stole for five minutes. You got to remember I, what you're going to say. I just forgot three times. Yeah. But on a, on a very serious note, uh, what Tim's really saying is a lot of people that have, uh, back, a lot of people that are back holding stocks, they sell them in July, August, September, October, November, December to, to make the money back on tax returns. And then in January, they've, they've got that, that extra money to invest and then the stocks start flying. But maybe you'll explain it better. But I just wanted to relate that to a personal story that crazily enough, uh, when, I, I, when I first got profitable, it was around August last year, and I was just banking August, September, October, November, and December. And the, re- and the way I got profitable was I was just looking for stocks with heavy volume resistance. And then the next time they spiked, I would just short them. And that makes perfect sense to Tim's thesis that people are just getting out into the spikes whenever they're popping because they're selling and taking a loss on a, on a bigger position and just taking that loss and taking it off the taxes. But in January, I had my first big red month in a while because everyone was buying shit again and I was shorting too early. So do you want to further clarify that, Tim? No, no. I mean, what you were seeing is exactly what Sykes was saying is that, you know, these people that are bag holding forever, when that spikes, when that stock spikes, you know, put yourself in that mentality. You've, all of you have probably been there. You've held the stock way too long. What happens when it randomly pops? What do you do? You sell like a freaking madman because you're like, oh God, I'm finally back to break even. So what Steven was seeing there if these people were holding these stocks since January, February, March, whatever, they get that spike, they sell into it, and then it fails, which is great for a short seller. Then flip side, they, they, we call it the January effect. You know, everybody's back in cash because they take all those losses at the end of the year. And now you come into January and everybody's like, hey, new year, new me, let's buy some stocks. So totally agree. Yeah, but I mean, that would almost bring me to have the thesis that it's more better. That is a terrible choice of words. It's more better, but there's higher probability and shortened towards the back end of the year successfully than there is in the front side of the year. Do you conquer certain? I don't, you know, I, I, I hate to. <laughs> no, 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 I don't agree. No, 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 no. I don't have any hard statistics to like back that up, but I, I agree with the concept of it, you know, because the simple fact is people bag hold and, and, and the simple fact is if you're thinking about, okay, here comes the end of the year, I'm down five grand. If I don't realize this loss, I can't claim it on my tax return. So I'm, if this stock spikes, 
I went from down five grand to down 2,500. Let's just move on. So, so no, I, I totally agree with the concept of that. So just in the concept of say, say I was to build a plan, say if I was to build a case, that could be one small paper in, a, in the briefcase of facts that make the plan. Yeah. And, and what, what Sykes talked about was past performance. And, you know, we talk about that a lot. Well, I talk about it literally every day in Stocks to Trade Pro. The first thing we do when we see a stock moving, we look at the yearly chart because yeah. you know, if this stock has a history of running and that's where Sykes talks about the past performance, doesn't mean it will always run like it did in the past, but the same stocks show up. They keep coming back. That's why we call them former runners. So the first thing you do is look at the past performance, whether that be the one-year, five-year, 20-year chart. Yeah, I mean, we'll go on to the next clip, but I've got a different motto. My motto is uh, short now, look later. <laughs> short first, look next. Short first, look second. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And <laughs> that's how I've done so well recently. Next clip. <laughs> but overall, you know, the public flow is what matters because that is the tradable shares. That is what the supply of shares are. But if there's, let's say, 2 million shares in the public float, which I would consider to be a low float, and the stock is trading 4 million shares on the day, meaning it's already traded every share twice, you got to figure some people are going to hold on to their shares and they're going to take some of their shares out of the supply. And if there's still demand, meaning if there's still buyers for whatever the reason is, if it's earnings or billionaire play or, you know, low flow, low market cap play right now, if there's enough buyers and not enough supply, the stock price will rise. The stock price rises in order to attract more sellers. The stock price will drop if there's too many sellers and not enough buyers, because now they're lowering the price and it's like, you know, a 50% off sale at JCPenney to try and get you to buy these ugly sweaters. So you have to try and think about the dynamics and the economics of this. So this is, it's funny to think, you know, this uh, trader checklist was done a couple years ago, which it's still, everything is applicable so far that we've, that we've gone through, but it's amazing to think back, you know, he's recording this in 2016, I think, and he's talking about low float mania. And here we are, you know, we're almost to 2019 at this point, and we're still talking about low float mania, but um, Sykes, Sykes talks, touches on a great point, And I talk about this on the podcast all the time is this idea of supply and demand. A lot of people quite frequently, and if you're new and you have this question, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people will be like, well, why do the price of stocks go up? You know, there's no news. Why do they move? Why do they go up? A lot of it is just simple, simple supply and demand. That's all there is to it. If there's 2 million of these shares or there's 2 million of these widgets or these 2 million bottles of beer, you know, and Steven wants to drink all 2 million bottles of the beer, well, it's going to be hard for me to get a beer. So I'm going to have to bid up and pay more. And that's what he's talking about with low float and why they move so fast. And especially to pay attention to that idea of float rotation. Because if there's a limited supply and those chairs are changing hands multiple times, maybe I bought in the morning, I sold in the afternoon. Now Steven's buying. He's a new buyer. He has new expectations. He wants to sell higher. So as the float rotates, you get more and more new buyers because of limited supply. And that's why you get these multiple breaks through the day. We love that early break, the midday break, and the late day break. And these are the types of stocks that do that because of the limited supply. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I just had a completely random thought there. Uh, but, but what the, the on point thought to this episode is it's that, I'm really, I must be tired because I'm losing my words all the time. The, what, the rule that I've got. Tired. Is, 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 uh, I'm is, is that what back. you tell your mom when you show up <laughs> at 3.30 in the morning staggering around? <laughs> mom, I'm really tired. Uh, honestly, I'm working on two different pitches at the moment. One was presented today, one's presented tomorrow, and I'm, I'm dying off it. Not, not that I'm working crazy. I was just mentally tired. But I had two thoughts. And the first one is, 
you can't really trade a stock unless you've got an edge in the stock. Or you probably shouldn't unless you've got an edge. And, and by an edge, I mean, if it's a 12 million float and you look at the past history and you can see that those 20 million shares traded and it was at $10 and now the stock's at $2, you know that you've got an edge because that full 12, 12 million float, they're all underwater. So you've got the edge because unless there's more than 12 million buyers, you're going to be, there's more sellers than buyers. It's, it's that exact um, it's that exact example, the exact concept that you're just talking about, the supply versus demand. There's a lot more supply than there is demand when the stock's down at two and it's now at five, but previously it was at 12. So the float's extremely important for that. And, and that's where a lot of people get mixed up. And, but it's, it's the same on the, on the long side. Like if it's a 2 million float, you know that shorts are going to get ripped and ripped and ripped. You know that if it's, I mean, you're better on the long side, but if it's about to break out and there's only 2 million shares and there's a huge amount of volume, there's going to be a lot of people trying to buy them, not a lot of people trying to sell them because they know it's a low float and it'll rip. So that's why the float's really important. That's why it's important not to, to short low floats no matter how appealing it is. Uh, the second thing that I was thinking is, I know Tim does a lot of charity work, but if you was going to start another commercial business, and I'm not, not anything to do with you because of bread, but imagine, imagine he started a, a bread shop, right? And he called it Break and Bread. <laughs> Like, you know, instead of like breaking bad, <laughs> he called it breaking bread. All right, it's not very funny. It just came in my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's kind of funny. Breaking bread. <laughs> oh, it was good. Well, I got to believe there's been a bakery that had that name in the past. I mean, I really don't mm, think that's. I think I just thought of it. No, but like, do you know breaking bad? Yep, I'm familiar Bre- with it. Yep. Breaking bread. It's yeah. a- <laughs> it is very scary to short sell a low float stock. Because short squeezes can happen, and they have happened. KBIO, which was a, a big play, uh, you know, the other, I don't know, I guess this was a few months ago, and it was fundamentally a worthless company. So I was shorting it at around $2 a share. But after hours, news got announced that this guy, Martin Shkreli, who's now been arrested and charged with a, a ton of different crimes, but at the time, he just had money, and he took over the company, and after hours, the stock went from two to 10 in, in like two hours. And I know a lot of people who were short. I was short. My first millionaire student, Michael Good, was short. Did we lose our butts? No, because we followed rule number one about cutting losses quickly. Michael Good and I each lost a few thousand dollars. It wasn't fun. It stunk. But I also know several ex-students of mine and non-students of mine lost six and seven figures because they short sell without thinking about the risks. They short sell because they think that all these companies should go to zero and they're going to hold till zero. GTZ is what they call it. Good till zero. I don't want that. Okay. I trade scary. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things that Tim Sykes has always said is don't be in a trade where you feel uncomfortable because you never know what can happen, especially with these low floats. And there's been too many times where I've been in too big size or I've averaged up or I've averaged down or I've went for a home run. And then when it gets uncomfortable and then you start changing your plan and then you start holding after hours, after hours, the volume is so much lighter. Not a lot of people are watching. It can fly either way. So, I mean, never ever be in too big size the way you feel uncomfortable because that pain level can get, squeeze to an unimaginable threshold that you never thought you'd ever have to experience when the unexpected happens. And also, if you are trading size, be very careful when you're holding overnight because the volume after market is very light, pre-market is very light, and, and shit goes down. It, gets very, it can get very volatile. Yeah, it's um, a saying I often use that I stole, and I, I don't know, I'm sure I could probably Google it, but um, I don't know who said it, but I use it all the time. And, you know, in trading... All you can control is what you lose. Um, just read, actually, I just read Trading in the Zone um, a week or so ago, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll feature that at some point in the future. But, you know, he talks about that a lot. I mean, you can line up all these parameters. You can have your perfect setup, but ultimately the market decides what you make. You know, the market decides where that stock goes from there. But all you can control is what you lose. That's the one decision you make yourself. And as Tim mentioned, I mean, he was in this stock completely junk, good till zero, it should be. 
And he recognized that the price action wasn't doing what he wanted and got out for a couple thousand bucks, which, well, loss, a couple thousand dollar loss, big deal. Because if you go back, I mean, you can't get the chart of KBIO anymore because it's delisted. But it went to, I believe, he's talking about the day it went 2 to 10. I think a few days later, it went to like 50. So you cannot stay bullheaded in these stocks. You, know, you, you determine your plan and you stick to it. And if you don't, you won't be around long. Yeah, and no, but and the funny thing is, you'll get Ben, and it reminds us of a book. I can't remember the name of the the book that I read, but it was a, a really experienced veteran trader, and and he had this kind of young young gun, and and the veteran trader said, you know what it is? I've been humbled by the market so many times. I've lost, I've lost my uh, ability to take a risk. But you're so young, you haven't been worn down yet, and you'll take the risk. So somewhere between you and I will make a great team. And I just thought it was, a, it was a brilliant story and it was a brilliant passage in the book because even if you are making these stupid mistakes, you, you'll get them burnt out of you. And I'm getting them burnt out of me and I've had them burnt out of me right now. Like you feel, you'll get to the point where you feel physically sick <laughs> to the point where you don't want to do it anymore. Um, and, and everyone has to go through it, I think. Unless, unless, some people don't. Like Some people get it quick. But a lot of people, they'll have it bent out of them. Yeah, but those are the extreme outliers, you know, and yeah, we talk about those kind of guys a lot. I mean, you know, we uh, ultimately, I, you know, I, I make the hero's journey, the Joseph Campbell analogy all the time. I mean, you have to go through the valley of the damned to come out the other side, and that's the way it is for all of us. I mean, again, I, talk, I think about, you know, seven, eight years ago, I wanted to quit several times, but I'd always had this passion and I stuck with it. And, and then that is where, you know, we talk about 90% fail, but of the 10% that succeed and last in this game, 99, 99% of that 10% have to go through that journey. And, and, and just the last thing I'll say, because I'm, I'm finding it quite riveting. It's quite riveting, this conversation. But the, really, the other really important thing is what you've got to realize is your training, like raw human emotions, like th- this is your primal instincts. Like your primal instinct is like, bye, 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 short, short, short. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's not, it's not the rational part of your brain. A lot of the time you're, you're training the primitive part of your brain. And, and I liken it to like pitches and presentations. Like for example, the first time you do a presentation, you're like terrified and you can't talk yourself around and not be terrified. The next time you just have to do it a hundred times. And on the hundredth time you're a confident presenter. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing with trading. Like, you have to go through the horribleness a hundred times, but on that hundredth time, you're like, I'm not falling for this brain. I've, I've got you. I've got you. You're not tricking me again. <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean? No, no. I mean, I think it's a great analogy. I mean, obviously I do the podcast. I do twice daily webinars in Stocks to Trade Pro. I've done, you know, spoke at a bunch of presentations, conferences. So, you know, I owned a business, did a lot of sales pitches. So it's, I mean, for me to walk up at the Orlando conference in front of 800 people, it's like, it's like kind of whatever. Where on the flip side, you know, my wife, I mean, and my wife is outgoing person, but you know, we might go to, you know, we might do a reading at church and for her to go up in front of 25 people gives her extreme anxiety. You know, and I'm like, what's the big deal? But the, the difference is I've done it 10,000 times and she hasn't that, 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 I mean, it's a great analogy. Yeah, I mean, but you know, you physically know that there is absolutely no threat of talking through the slides that you know. But you know that you shouldn't be shorting on the first green day as well. But you still, you still get scared in the presentation. You still short the first green day. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I mean, you've just got to go through it. You've just got to go through it until you, the primitive part of your brain learns. So next clip. It's far more difficult for a $200 million company to become a $400 million company based off anything short term because the valuation is so difficult to grow a bigger company. You know, you, you have uh, scale coming involved here. It, you can't just become a $2 billion company and turn into $10 billion overnight. Uh, you know, there's, there's certain kinds of logic and reasons. And if there is a $2 billion company that turns into a $10 billion company overnight, it's probably going to be very short term. Uh, but you do have to be careful. You cannot just say this 10 or $20 million company will never go up. I know a whole contingent of bitter, weird, wannabe, you know, just wannabe celebrities and wannabe important and want to have attention. 
and they think that the secret is that you should never buy these penny stocks. And that I'm the madman for saying buy these worthless companies and that I'm a pumper. I just want to piggyback moves that can actually work. And all that negativity that everyone thinks that these stocks should never go up, well, guess what, you negative Nancys? That doesn't work in the real world, okay? In the real world, the risk-reward actually favors buying these low-market-cap stocks, especially right now. And shorting is terrible, terrible risk-reward, even if you are right fundamentally, fundamentally or logically. Um, Tim touches on a great point that I talk about all the time and my, my analogy that I use, you know, when it comes to market cap. So the, th- the thing, Stephen will probably comment on something else, but what I want to focus on is why we love these low priced, low, low market cap stocks. And that is simply, I use the Sisyphus pushing the rock up a hill analogy. And if you've got a large market cap stock, you know, if it's a billion dollar market cap, Back to that supply and demand mentality, you have to have a lot of money. There's got to be a lot of wealthy individuals, hedge funds, or a bunch of day traders. You know, most guys in the day trading world have small accounts. So you have to have a ridiculous number of these people all on board to push this multi-billion dollar cap, market cap stock up. The beauty of the small market cap stocks is it can just take a contingent of a thousand day traders or up, you know, Hey, simple reality is chat rooms, newsletters, you know, these things move these stocks because they are small market cap. Now that can, that, that makes great opportunities long and short, but the biggest point that I want to focus on in this clip is focus on small market cap. If you, you know, if you want to make 1%, then you can trade, the GEs and the Fords and the, and the GMs and, and the IBMs, these huge market cap stocks. If you want to grow a small account, focus on the small market caps because they're the ones that move because it doesn't take billions of dollars of buying power to move them around. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would just totally agree as well. And I, and I, I agree that these, these low floats uh, with high volume with a catalyst I thought you said you watched Trader Checklist like three times, and, 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 and Tim just said, don't short low floats. You're crazy. Went through. And, uh, it's weird, though, because <laughs> you, you, I have watched it three. Do you know what it is? I've watched it three times, and I started making money regularly. Do you remember the days? I was having $400, $500 days every day, and my rule, oh, yeah. rule was don't short low floats. <laughs> don't short low floats. And if you do, like, short the backside and definitely don't be in pre-market. And I had a broker that didn't let it show at low floats. But once I took one big loss, I just went off the rails and I've never recovered. But I'm coming back. And it's probably because of this DVD. Coming back. Coming back. No, but I mean, honestly, I will never, ever, 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 ever short low float again because stupid people short the low floats. And I've got someone in mind when I say this, but I'll not say him on the air because it's nasty. (laughs) (laughs) I think you know who I'm talking about. I'm not even going into it. But um, like everyone's got this condition in the brain that all penny stocks should fail. So if you get a low float with news and volume, it's one, it's going to run because there's too, much, there's too much demand and not enough supply. And two, shorts are just going to get the faces ripped off. Like for me, the only stocks that I can short now in this crazy, stupid bull market, I used to think you guys are making this up, you know. <laughs> Honestly, I thought it was a marketing plan. When you and Tim were saying, buy these long stocks, I was like, I know I can get the short brokerages and stuff like that. You're just saying it, but I've come to realize it's not. You're saying it because for these low floats with catalysts in high volume, they'll rip, especially with a clean chart, and they'll rip in this market. Uh, so I believe, I believe it now, but it took, some, it took some time. Well, especially you make a great point, and we'll move on in the next clip, a clean chart. Now, if you're, I think actually the producer had said we're going to talk about bad sushi charts. That's a different scenario. But before we move on, like as Stephen said, if it's a clean breakout, has a catalyst, and it's low float, and you're shorting, good freaking luck, buddy. <laughs> but but you know what's even you know what's even better than that? When it's got a bad chart, but it's low float, and the volume is like explosive, and it catches all the shorts off guard. Which one's more powerful? As along, would you say? A clean chart, a clean chart, multi-year highs. 
or a clean chart, multi months, multi year, fifty. Well, I, I would again. It's it's difficult for me to answer the you know which is more powerful. I would say I still prefer, I still yeah. prefer a clean chart. But you might be right. I mean, I mean, yeah. for me to set my risk and reward to make my plan. I love that clean chart, but you might be right. When it comes to like yeah. the thousand percent movers, you might yeah. be on something. <laughs> the, the biggest ones, the biggest ones are the ones that you don't expect to go, right? That's yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Okay, next clip. This spike was just one day and then failed. This was a one day spike and it failed. One day spike and it failed. This was the first spike that actually succeeded. And this was right before the FDA news that just swatted down their entire life's work and the stock dropped from 10 down to the ones. This is a terrible, terrible pattern to buy. And you'll hear me talk about this. I call it, you know, the, the bad sushi example. You don't want to buy a stock that has this 80, 90% drop. I know it's tempting. I know real life teaches you otherwise. When you see like, you know, an 80% off sale at Macy's or something, you want to take it because the sweater that you're going to buy is going to be the same sweater whether you're paying full price or you're saving 80%. That's a good deal. But with stocks, when they drop 50, 60, 70, 80%, you don't want to buy them. It's like getting 50% off sushi late day. I'll tell you the story now just so that you remember it, but later on, I'll also repeat it. I lived in New York City once upon a time. Some of these little uh, you know, grocery stores would have sushi and sashimi all day and they would sell it. And it was good. But late at night when there was unsold sushi, they would put out a little sign that says, you know, sushi 50% off. And as a frugal person, you know, a few years ago, not so much anymore, but this was over a decade ago when, frankly, I, I didn't have these rules and I didn't have that much money, I would sometimes take the 50% off sushi. I'm Jewish, okay? I like deals. I can't help it. It's in my genes it's the way that I was raised. But what I learned the hard way is that sometimes that 50% off sushi will give you a very bad stomach ache. Not every time, not even most times. But if you're looking to save 5 or $7 on stupid sushi and you're risking to get a really nasty stomach ache or food poisoning, it's not worth the risk. Actually, it was almost like we planned this, this Stephen. You know, it's, it's funny. We finished on – we I, I led right into the bad sushi. It was almost like I listened to the producer for once. But um, I tell you, great chart, and that is uh, – uh, that, that EVOK chart is what I talk about all the time as a one-and-done chart. You know, it's a, I, you'll, you've heard me in, in, in stocks to trade pro I'll, you'll hear me bring up that chart yeah, and I'll yeah. immediately go blah. blah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that chart is disgusting. And, and, and now that chart is useful both ways. I would, again, as mostly a bull in this market in 2018, I wouldn't even consider buying that chart. I mean, that chart is disgusting, gross, yuck. And so many new traders get suckered in to that bad sushi idea. They're like, oh, it was 10 bucks three days ago. It's going back to 10 bucks. You look at that chart, you know, and if you're on, if you're listening to this on iTunes, jump over to YouTube, jump over to steadytrade.com. You'll see that chart. I mean, every spike died. Every spike died. If you're buying that chart, good luck. Now, this is where Steven can come in. I mean, that, I mean, to me, that, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. A stock, the beautiful chart to short, because it's like, no matter, you know, every level is going to meet resistance doesn't mean it's going to fail. But there's a high probability that every spike will then pull. I mean, so yeah, avoid the bad sushi charts. There's so many clean charts out there right now. Look for 52s, look for six month breakout, look for 90 day breakouts. Avoid that disgusting mess like that EVOK chart. Yeah, I mean, that, that chart is worse than me on some Thursday nights and Friday mornings. I'm, <laughs> I'm, that is one disgusting mess. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a good short. The only thing that scares me with it is I wouldn't want to catch it on that 24 million day because you don't know how many shorts have got wrapped up on it. But 
any day after that, you're thinking there's 24 million shares worth of people underwater. So, and you can short all the way up to that resistance level and you know that it's, it's collapsed and been bad sushi because of a serious fundamental reason. It's gone from 10 to 2. So you've, there's a lot of ne- negative catalysts there that make it a great short year and a terrible long. So I think the biggest takeaway from today's episode is I think this is Don't very valid. Well, that's sorry. That's, 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 I'm breaking bread. I'm sorry. Do, I am do, so Do you bad. encounter a lot of yellow snow in Dubai or not? I'm so bad. No, but I got a lot of yellow sand. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but the, the biggest takeaway from today is, you know, we talked about the, the past performance. We talked yeah. about the chart history and stuff like that. Float. Get in the habit of looking at that multi, whether me, I focus on the one year chart, but I know a lot of guys that that like two and three and five, but always, always, always jump back. I think a lot of new traders zoom in too much. They look at today's chart. They might look at the five day chart. Always have that yearly chart. And if you're doing it with stocks to trade or whatever your charting platform is, you can always window link. You type in that ticker. You can see behind me. Anytime I type in a ticker, I immediately see the two-day chart and the one-year chart. And if that chart looks like something like EVOK, like, like Tim had brought up, I mean, keep looking. You know, avoid junk. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're long bias, look for clean breakouts. If you're short bias, look for those long-term downing trend, trending stocks that tend to spike and fail. But I think that's the biggest takeaway from the day is always look at the multi-year chart. Yeah, and I'm just going to add one thing to that, really. I'd say never go long or short unless you know that you've got an actual edge. And when you are looking at the the long-term chart on one year, two year, three year, you want to give the most presidents to the areas with the highest levels of volume. How many presidents do I give? Maryland. What was it? Elementary. No, no. How many many presidents do I I like? Lincoln, Washington, Adams. Hi, this is Aaron, a.k.a. Double A Ron, from New York City, and I like to go outside and find a stray dog, preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a rottweiler. Then I get real close, stare it down eye to eye until it starts to chase me. Then I run. That's right, I run while listening to Stephen and Tim on the Steady Trade Podcast. You can register to win real, actual prizes at their website, SteadyTrade.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City. (laughs) 